Welcome to another episode of the Slam Fast Podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pre-gaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad, so we are four episodes in. This is episode five. been looking forward to this one since I started thinking about doing a podcast, so we finally made it to my first KISS show. So interesting parallel to my first overall concert, if you go back to episode one, I talk about the White Snake Great White concert getting announced, getting tickets for it, and then Kiss White Lion getting announced later on and for two weeks after that White Snake show. I was unable to attend. It was too close uh, to the other show, and then it, and the Kiss show was the day after Thanksgiving, so that was not going to fly. So same thing here. Last week talked about White Snake Bad English. That show got announced, got tickets for it, and then this KISS show got announced, and it's two weeks after the White Snake show, but there was no way I was going to miss this show. So this episode is going to revolve around the KISS Faster Pussycat Slaughter May 10th, 1990 concert, Omaha Civic Auditorium, Omaha, Nebraska. On May 10th, the greatest show on earth returns. also appearing, Slaughter. Get tickets now. The auditorium box office. All Homer's records, Pickles records, Rosenblatt Stadium, and Ticks. Charge by phone at 3427107. Kiss Live. Produced by Contemporary. So the Hot in the Shade tour, also known as the Hits tour, started on May 4th, 1990 in Lubbock, Texas. So the Omaha show was the sixth show on the tour, so early, early on in the in the tour. And I can remember, I don't know if you guys remember concert lines or if your local radio stations had concert lines back in the day, but some of the concert commercials I've played on earlier episodes have mentioned Z92. Z92 was the, the rock radio station out of Omaha. They had a concert line. And I can remember calling that. That's how I actually found out about this show. I, I knew that the tour was was coming and probably read about it somewhere, but didn't know when uh, things were going to get announced. So I remember calling the concert line. And again, Omaha, that was probably a long-distance call for me. So I'm calling it every day after school for however, who knows how long, waiting to uh, hear the KISS show get get announced. So, also wanted to mention, so the, the ticket stubs that I've been posting on the Facebook page to kind of introduce the episodes, you know, those were the kind of old school, colorful, you know, uh, ticket stubs versus, 
you know, what we've got today, stuff on your phones and, and that type of thing. So these are the original ticket stubs. I have all of my ticket stubs. Um, but what was interesting, and I haven't talked about it yet, is buying tickets back then. Um, going into a department store, um, specifically uh, Brandeis was the name of the one uh, that we used. And you would go in there, go to the customer service desk, and there would be slots, you know, almost like mail slots, but but smaller and you could just see the tickets just in there and that's how you you bought tickets and I can remember buying the ticket for this show um, at that store uh, bringing it home putting it in a had a little tiny safe in my room I remember throwing it in there and then as we were getting closer to the show I remember getting it out and pinning it to my bulletin board just so I could see it every day but I was obviously very excited uh, for this for this show so this week I'm gonna mix it up a little bit instead of a band on the bill spotlight I mean it is kind of a band on the bill spotlight but it's also a spotlight on me so I'm gonna talk about my history you know up from the kind of from the beginning um, where I touched on it a little bit in episode one but I'm gonna go from there up until this this concert so mentioned in the first episode destroyer was my first album uh, acquisition and but I forgot to talk about you know I've been talking about some of these Facebook um, posts of top 10 albums and you know that had an impact on me and are on, still on rotation today so here's the one here's the one on destroyer in no particular order well this time it is in an order and this is number one my tenth and final hard rock pick is Kiss's fourth studio album, Destroyer, from 1976. This is where music all started for me. Got in the, into the band sometime in 1978 when I was six years old. There were some older kids in the neighborhood who were really into them, and my babysitter across the street had a live on vinyl and Destroyer on 8-track. Remember her showing me these album covers and describing the band and their stage show to me. I was mesmerized. I ended up borrowing money from my dad to buy her a copy of Destroyer. Eventually, I added Love Gun, Dynasty, Dress to Kill, and Unmasked all on 8-track and got all four solo albums on vinyl by the time I was 8. I can still remember listening to Destroyer over and over in our game room and the 8-track eventually wearing out. With the combination of their visuals and the bombastic over-the-top production of Destroyer, I was hooked. When I think of KISS, I think of the second trilogy of albums, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, and Love Gun. To me, this is the real KISS. I think of the first trilogy of albums as prequels to what was still yet to come. Over the past 40 years, I wanted the best, and I got the best, the hottest band in the world, KISS. So again, this was done you know, several years uh, ago, and uh, forgot to mention it in the, in the first episode. So, 1978, obviously got the Destroyer um, 8-track, but I can remember uh, one of my friends having Kiss Alive 2, and obviously opening that gate fold, we've all done that, Kiss fans, um, just opened that, and oh my god, an unbelievable uh, imagery. But at that time, I only can remember listening to Shock Me live, and just loving uh, the way that Paul introduced the song, introduced Ace, and but other than that, I didn't really hear much more of the of that album. Uh, shortly thereafter, we were in Omaha, ended up getting Love Gun on a track, and I can remember 
asking my dad to put it in for the ride home and didn't even make it through I Stole Your Love, which is funny to think back on. But when I got home and put it in and listened to the whole thing, can remember being disappointed that getting to shock me and there was no cool Paul introduction of the song. Again, I didn't understand um, the difference, you know, be able to distinguish from the live album and the, and the studio album. But anyway, moving along to 79, I can remember the 2020 um, news report. Um, remember hearing that it was going, they were going to be on there. And again, odd things to remember, but I can remember that night we had it all planned, probably had tickets for going to see the re-release of Star Wars at a night, great classic uh, old school theater uh, in our town. And I was worried I was going to miss Kiss being on 2020, but we actually made it back in, in time. And I can remember sitting there and watching it uh, uh, with, with the family. Um, next up, Dynasty. Got that on 8-track. Had heard I Was Made For Loving You on the radio. Um, and then my uncle and one of my cousins went to the Dynasty tour stop in Omaha. Remember hearing about it from from them and and my cousin talking about Gene flying to the top of the lighting truss and describing it as though he had a jetpack of, of some sort. I, I remember that rumor kind of going around regarding that uh, that stunt. Um, Purchased the solo albums on vinyl, got Aces, and then Jeans, then Paul's, and then Peter's. And I can remember um, the puzzle posters that came in each of them that were supposed to go together. Um, still have them, but when I was little, I wanted to turn those into individual posters, so I cut them as all of the KISS collectors out there listening are, are screaming. Yes, you know, you do a lot of dumb things. You're not a collector when you're a kid. Um, I also remember cutting the the record sleeves of each of them. You know, they had the four head, uh, faces from the solo albums. I remember cutting those out because I wanted those in individual. Um, and I didn't take care of the vinyl at all. Uh, don't even have those anymore. Have the have the album covers still, uh, but I didn't take care of um, those records at all. Moving into 1980, remember getting dressed to kill uh, on eight track for Christmas, um, and remember being a big fan of side two. Um, don't really remember liking or listening to side one very often. Not sure if that was due to the terrible format of the eight track and trying to get to different songs, or if I just didn't like them. Um, and then I can remember getting the what I'm calling that black light poster, pinkish background, KISS uh, logo on the bottom, Peter at the top, Ace at the bottom with that V-neck, Destroyer costume, and then Paul on the left and Gene on the right. So that was really my first poster uh, ever. And 1980, remember riding my bike to Kmart and getting Unmasked, which was a brown eight track, which was odd. Um, but to be honest, I don't remember listening to it um, very much. When I got it later on, uh, the songs really weren't too familiar to me. Uh, moving along to 81, got Hotter Than Hell on cassette for birth, uh, birthday present from a neighbor. That same neighbor had double platinum. Um, and 
I don't really have much of a connection with Double Platinum. I didn't own it until later. So when I was getting into them and getting into the studio stuff, I, I was getting the actual studio albums and not not that best of. So it, that that doesn't mean that much to me. I know it does to a lot of other, other fans because that's what they they got in, in some instances and kind of went back and got the studio albums. I, I was kind of the reverse of that. Um, and then our, um, our family was a solid gold uh, viewing family, so I actually saw the actual airing of, of Kiss when they were on, on there. Of course, I didn't know the songs, wasn't aware that the elder was out, um, you know, didn't mind the song I, and again, didn't buy the elder until later, later on. Moving along to 82, can remember being in Omaha again, getting a live two on that double cassette deal. Um, on the ride home, had my my dad put it in the tape deck and just turned the speakers on the uh, in the back of the whatever we had, a suburban or a van. And I remember laying on the floor so I could hear the the music from the, the speakers that were that were lower in the back and. To be honest, not really being a fan. Again, I knew the studio versions of the songs on Destroyer and, and Love Gun and um, preferred those and didn't really get into the side four um, of, of studio uh, songs on that album until later. Wasn't, wasn't into them for whatever reason uh, when I was younger. Then, so in third grade, can remember Halloween and having uh, um, middle school drama students come over to our elementary school and they were going to put makeup on us and one of my friends and I chose I chose Ace and he chose Peter and I've got a, a picture of that which I'll, I'll post on the Facebook page but around that time I can remember seeing the I Love It Loud video so um, neighbor had Creatures of the Night and remember hearing that song and, and kind of you know getting, getting back into the uh, music kind of real time at that point 83 so lick it up brother bought that um, remember him liking the title cut and not for the innocent and I can remember whether this was the next day or a couple days after um, when they took the makeup off my dad uh, pointing that out to me in the Omaha World Herald paper and so that was the first time I saw them without makeup was the, the picture that they had in the, in the newspaper. Um, 84, Animal Eyes, can remember the Heavens on Fire video coming out and I just loving that song. Um, going to 85, so now starting with Asylum, that's every al album after that I bought on the day of its release. You know, can remember seeing the Animalized Live Uncensored concert airing on MTV, the actual airing of it, uh, recording that on VHS. And, but uh, you know what? I wasn't crazy about Paul's vocal acrobatics on some of the songs. Um, loved um, that version of Cold Gin. Again, not having double platinum, not having Alive or the first album. Uh, yet didn't really know that song so at that point I went back got the first album and got alive uh, started also uh, collecting posters and and 
decorating my bedroom walls uh, with that stuff. Um, 86, Kiss Exposed, home video came out, which was just fantastic. Um, very obviously cheesy and campy, uh, but some of the footage that they were showing uh, was the first time I had seen footage of them performing in makeup. Uh, that version of Detroit Rock City uh, to this day still remains probably my favorite version of that song ever. Exposed then sent me down kind of the bootleg path um, out of the back of magazines, you know, sending for catalogs and got Largo 79, Houston 77, interview compilation that had the Tomorrow Show interview on it. So I was, uh, was heavy into bootlegs at that point. And then later on in 86 time frame, I've mentioned Andy, uh, Andy's name, one of my friends in the in earlier episodes. His older brother being a big KISS fan, I bought a bunch of 70s merch off of him. Um, the Cubes poster, the solo album cover uh, posters, Alive 2 individual posters, the, that giant Alive uh, poster, KISS Army fan club kit, uh, Double Platinum era, because that's the album, that the last album they show on the back cover. Um, Kiss pencils, Kiss trading cards, Kiss the real story book. So all of that stuff I started to acquire. Uh, mentioned putting up posters. So by that time, my room, all four walls completely covered. Um, didn't have room really for anything more. Um, my brother across the hall, his room, of course, was covered with posters. Um, a funny story, we have our grandmother from Omaha come in from time to time and my parents would want to set her up in one of the kids' bedrooms and she could not <laughs> let her sleep or I don't think she wanted to sleep in our rooms because of all that stuff um, that we had up, um, which was kind of funny. So I think she ended up having to sleep in my, in my sister's room. Um, so then 87, you know, can remember... Um, again, bootlegs, buying a crazy night with Kiss at Tokyo uh, Budokan show, multicam, um, buying the Music Life magazines, and then really starting to see Kiss specific uh, special magazines come out. Right, the Kiss tours, Kiss guitarists, the Kiss collections, all that stuff. I was eating all that stuff up, and then started to buy some cassette bootlegs as well. One of my favorites is that Egos at uh, Egos at Stake London show September of 80 on Mass Tour love the set list um, and that's just a great bootleg now so we're getting closer to this show so 89-90 can remember so Paul Stanley had his solo tour in 89 got a cassette bootleg of that from Lemoore in New York or Brooklyn um, and listening to that and hearing the song Hide Your Heart which I had never heard before remember playing that for my brother and being like, you know what song, whose song this is? And he didn't, wasn't familiar with it, obviously, either. But then at the end of that bootleg, there was uh, the demo of Hide Your Heart uh, from the Crazy Nights sessions was on there. And I was like, oh, this is, this is one of their songs. And, and I can remember then reading about that that was going to be on the next album. So I was excited because I loved that song. So actually um, ended up buying um, also a couple things I can remember hearing or that the single you guys remember the singles 
uh, of Hydra Heart being released. And it was actually the day of the homecoming uh, dance. So I took my girlfriend dinner, and from there we went to the record store, and I bought that, and we listened to Hide Your Heart, and then flipped it over and heard Betrayed uh, on the way from dinner to the dance. Um, you know, just loved what they did with Hide Your Heart. Um, and then, obviously, bought Hot in the Shade when it got released. Remember listening to it in my room, coming downstairs. And, of course, that was the day. The day that was released was the day of the earthquake in that Bay Bridge uh, World Series um, out in the Bay Area. So, again, just stupid stuff that I, that I remember. But So that kind of brings us current. Um, now, the other bands on the bill... So Slaughter, I remember seeing the Up All Night video and not really, I don't know, I, I wasn't a fan of Mark's voice. That, that song just didn't do much for me. But when I heard the Kiss Tour get announced on that concert hotline, they mentioned that Slaughter was going to be on there. I went out and bought the album to get familiar with it. And after listening to it for the first time, I loved almost everything on it. That doesn't happen that often with me. And that feeling of discovering a new band and loving almost everything on it, I was really excited to see them on this bill. Faster Pussycat. So I remember the debut coming out and again, my brother getting it. Um, love the song, Don't Change That Song. Um, wasn't a big fan of Bathroom Wall. So again, I was I was I enjoyed the stuff that kind of with the bluesy stuff, the stuff that kind of sounded like Aerosmith, but wasn't a huge fan of the the, the punk um, songs that had that punk feel to it. Just not not my taste. Um, and Tammy's voice was really hit and miss with me. So remember when uh, "Wake Me Up When It's Over" was released? Liked the song "Poison Ivy." Liked the song. House of Pain, when that great ballad, when that came out. Um, so leading up to the leading up to the concert, I can remember somehow overhearing somebody that I didn't know in high school talking about Kiss, and started talking to him, and he was a big fan, and and was planning on going to the show as well. Um, and I remember him and I making a we bet <laughs> what they were going to start with. And he said, Detroit Rock City, safe bet. I said, Deuce, which they hadn't done, uh, let off with, in a, and hadn't done in, a, in quite a while. And as most of you know, we were both wrong. Um, should have thought more about that uh, Paul Stanley solo tour um, when making that bet. So anyway, so show day. remember getting out of school um, early. Uh, shortly after lunch, ended up going to the show again with my girlfriend. Her mom actually drove us, so we got there pretty early. And I mean, I just wanted to hang out and kind of soak it all in, so we just hung out in the lobby of the venue. With I mean, there were quite a few other fans just sitting in there. Um, one guy had a, a boombox, and I can remember him playing the Hot in the Shade album in there. Um, and something else I can remember, um, again, this was May, so it was starting to get warm 
in in Nebraska, but people with cutoff shorts were were sitting there and they were they had their lighters and they were lighting the fringe of their shorts on fire for some reason. Uh, again, just something odd that I that I remember. So when the doors opened, remember getting in and we were going to be on the floor, uh, general admission, um, and I remember them having us sit down uh, on the floor initially. But unfortunately, when we got in there, they let us in there. And I don't, I don't think they let us in early, but they, they weren't done <laughs> kind of putting the stage together. So unfortunately, there was no uh, curtain in front of the KISS stage. So there, there is the Sphinx head and actually the, the headdress portion, those triangular portions that were on the sides, weren't there uh, yet or weren't totally set up yet. So unfortunately, it was really kind of anticlimactic, and it didn't look. So my my first uh, look at this thing was not the way that it was supposed to be. So it it really didn't look as impressive to me as I was expecting. I mean, they talked about a thirty foot sphinx, and and I don't know. It was it was unfortunate that they again it was the sixth show of the tour, so they probably didn't have. Um, the timing of the load in, you know, in stone yet. And, but anyway, kind of, kind of lame, uh, to see initially, uh, that way. Um, so getting into the show, so Slaughter opened the show and their set list. So Mad About You, Burning Bridges, Eye to Eye, Fly to the Angels, Up All Night, and then ended with Loaded Gun. So, surprised that they started with Mad About You. Um, Eye to Eye kicks off the record and has all that sound effects at the beginning, which they still did, even in the third slot of the set, which was just awkward, so I I think they should have started with Eye to Eye. Um, But overall, I mean, they were great. And again, they were a young band, hadn't played a lot of shows uh, together yet, and... uh, was was really impressed and I'll, I'll say this the flight of the angels seeing that version um still to this day and thinking back on it still gives me chills one of the better single live vocal performances uh that i, I feel like i've ever seen again mark's voice was in top form and just the way that that song was arranged live. Um, unfortunately, they didn't capture it on that live EP that came out um, shortly after this tour ended, um, but just fantastic. And actually, Up All Night kind of um, changed my mind on that song, came across really good live. But why they ended the set with the song Loaded Gun uh, is beyond me. I, I think that's a terrible song to begin with. And to have it, there's just so many more other songs that they could have pulled off of that first record uh, to end uh, the set with. So, moving along to Faster Pussycat. So, Where There's a Whip, There's a Way, Opened, Slip of the Tongue, Cat House, Poison Ivy, Little Dove, House of Pain, Bathroom Wall, and then ended their set with Babylon. So, of that, of those eight songs, three off of the debut, five off of uh, Wake Me When It's Over. So, uh, great opener, um, Slip of the Tongue, great song, Cat House off of the first album, great song, Poison Ivy was good. Um, you know, House of Pain sounded great. Again, I'm a big fan of 
of ballads, not all the ballads that came out in that era, but uh, thought that was a great song. Bathroom Wall, again, I get it, um, just not a huge fan of that song. And then closing with Babylon, which is just a, per- a perfect closer uh, for them. So as I mentioned, you know, into their stuff, their boozy stuff, um, shocked that this Don't Change That Song wasn't there again. I think that's one of the better songs off of the first record, and they didn't play it. Um, and I can remember, I, I know Tammy, the singer Tammy Down, had, has had uh, run-ins with the law on stage, again, just a, a filthy mouth, and I can, I can remember him talking about getting in trouble in Texas, maybe on the Motley Tour, and of course they were in Texas when this tour started. So I feel like he was talking about getting into some trouble um, with that as well. Um, So there was quite a delay between Faster Pussycat and Kiss. Don't know why um, Kiss didn't come on until, you know, quarter to ten. And I can remember the crowd really becoming restless and actually a couple fights breaking out on the floor. Um, But after the house lights finally went down... This is what I witnessed.
So yes, that was I Stole Your Love from the Omaha concert that I was at. And I want to give a shout out and a thanks to Gary Cap, who um, contacted me on the Facebook page right at the beginning of, of this podcast, starting and him saying that he's got so many shows. And I reached out to him a couple weeks ago and asked if he had this show because I had heard that there was a audio, decent audio re- uh, recording of it. And sure enough, he had it and he uh, sent it to me and... and um, that is so awesome to have um, quite a, uh, um, you know, a, a, the memory of that show and, and having it documented is, is awesome. So um, thanks again, Gary. I'm um, going to play a few other um, full songs and maybe some snippets of, of others uh, from that show. But as you can hear there, you know, again, first song I ever heard live. So not not a bad song to to have that uh, distinction. Um, and the what what do we say we kick some ass intro? So they did it the next night in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and then they dropped it. So um, was was able to. I thought that was such a great way to open uh, this this specific tour. Um, obviously the the Sphinx head and the um, you know, low, you know, droning, um, you know, keyboard note that that was playing there at the beginning in the mouth of the Sphinx opening with the lasers. And then coming out, again, just a great, great intro. So set list for Kiss. So I Stole Your Love, Deuce, Heaven's on Fire, Rise to It, Fits Like a Glove, Crazy Crazy Nights, Strutter, Calling Dr. Love, Hide Your Heart, Black Diamond, Shout It Out Loud, Lick It Up, Cold Gin, Forever, God of Thunder, Tears Are Falling, I Love It Loud, Under the Gun, Love Gun, Detroit Rock City, I Want You, and Rock and Roll All Night. So those last two songs were the encore. So the breakdown, so you've got four songs off of the debut, zero songs off of Hotter Than Hell, one song off of uh, Dress to Kill, three off of Destroyer, two off of Rock and Roll Over, two off of Love Gun, zero off of Dynasty, zero off of Unmasked, zero off of The Elder, one off of Creatures of the Night, two off of Lick It Up, two from Animal Eyes, one from Asylum, one from Crazy Nights, and then three from Hot in the Shade. So of that breakdown, uh, 12 songs from the 70s and 10 songs from the 80s, so they really were starting to embrace the 70s material uh, in there. The other thing to note, again, 22 songs. There were no solos, so no guitar solo, no drum solo, which made room for more songs. And then as I slightly mentioned with regards to what they started with, you know, it was a little bit influenced by Paul's solo tour. Uh, He started with I Stole Your Love on that solo tour and, and played I Want You also, which is probably why those two songs were were uh, slid into the set list. So, um, so I stole your love again. Just fantastic. A uh, little disappointed there was no delay on his voice right before you know the, that uh, kind of bridge portion right before the chorus. When I think of the things you said, uh, find out you're failing your test. Uh, you know, it just uh, lends itself so well to the live show to have some delay on there. Um, Song two, Deuce. So again, great, 
one two punch um, and after so that just going right into deuce then Paul finally addressed the crowd Next up, Heavens on Fire, great flames and fireballs uh, going off for, for that. Um, rise to it, again, can remember some good lighting during that, kind of doing the automatic spotlights rising up to the, uh, moving up upwards uh, from the down position and, and it was cool. Now, Fits Like a Glove was a little curious <laughs> to me. Again, I know they were playing, it's not a hit, um, obviously, they played it quite a bit throughout the 80s. Um, again, if they wanted to play a song, um, you know, kind of from that era, uh, actually, I would have, I would have maybe thrown in War Machine um, at, in, instead. Just not a, not a huge fan of that song. Fits like a glove, but anyway. And then Crazy Nights next. So actually, hearing about that they were going to kind of dig deep and play some older songs on this tour so you know the first two songs I was like you know I'm in I'm in for this and then but then they played Heavens on Fire, Rise to It, Fits Like a Glove and Crazy Nights so all uh, um, you know non non makeup era songs and a little curious of, of how they had the set list set up but then so they make up for it uh, next up again one of my favorite songs Wanna hear the old song? Yeah. Now here's a song that comes off the album Kiss Alive. After Strutter, so they did this a couple times throughout. You know, the first two songs, there was no, they just led in, you know, just led into the next one. Um, after Strutter, you know, they just went right into Calling Dr. Love. <laughs> 
Um, and it's no surprise uh, to KISS fans, but they were using, they had a keyboard, uh, Gary Corbett, keyboard player off stage, um, not only playing keyboards, but he had, I think, some backing vocals, uh, you know, backing tracks on his keyboard so he could, you know, help uh, supplement the, the backing vocals, uh, which actually sounded great to me. Um, I mean, they did this on Dr. Love, did it on Shout It Out Loud, did it on I Love It Loud, uh, to name a few. And I, you know, to be honest, I, I thought it sounded great. Um, and then Hide Your Heart uh, was played. Uh, great crowd participation uh, at the beginning. Goes like this. Black Diamond, Shout It Out Loud, again, back-to-back. And on Shout It Out Loud, that's when those triangular sections on the the, kind of the headdress of the Sphinx, uh, the little shade things opened, uh, and there was additional lighting in there, which was great, great effect. Um, And then that lighting was used for the rest of the show. Um, Lick It Up, Cold Gin, something interesting about Cold Gin. Kind of forgot that uh, Gene... Normal again. Normally sings that whole song, and and he sang the first verse, and Paul actually sang the second verse. Uh, had forgotten a little bit about that before going back and listening to to uh, this concert. So then the hit "Forever" um, 
and then God of Thunder, where they again had the Sphinx uh, technically sing uh, the last uh, last verse, uh, which was actually I think Gary Corbett doing that um, off stage. Tears are falling. Um, I love it loud. So then, under the gun again, another another curious selection um, from the Animalize record. Again, they had done this song on that tour. Um, again, if they're going to go back to that era, I would have thrown something in like Creatures of the Night. Again, something that they had done live before. So not not asking for something that they hadn't done, but uh, not a fan of Fast Kiss and not not a, song, a fan of that song really. Then Love Gun. The lasers bouncing off in time with the drum, machine gun drumming was so cool. I mean, they should have been doing this uh, from whenever lasers uh, were available and came out because that is such a great visual. Um, Awesome. Then Detroit Rock City closing a regular set. Sphinx kind of uh, explodes and collapses. And uh, during that, too, they kind of got all all three on one of those uh, side stage uh, platforms stage left during the guitar solo which was cool obviously it was cool for the people on that side of the of the arena so then they went off stage and came back on stage and this is what we heard
then the concert ended with Rock and Roll All Night, of course, um, and some cool crowd participation, and, and this is how the concert ended. So overall, great show, great uh, tour to, to, to have uh, be my first KISS concert, um, great set list, great stage show. Um, when I think back to you know where I almost had an opportunity to see him on the Crazy Nights tour, I'm glad I didn't. Um, that that's, uh, set list was pretty, pretty bland, uh, not much staging. Um, and uh, I think this was this was much much better and much better memory for me as being my first first kiss show. So as I've done previously, I pulled the Omaha World Herald review. Just wanted to touch on a couple of points from there. Uh, the members of Kiss might be forever identified with the 1970s, but they still don't seem out of place in the 90s. The long-running rock group could hardly be classified as an anachronism. Uh, based on its performance Thursday night at the Omaha City Auditorium, the power and energy displayed by the group demonstrated that KISS is still a vital and forceful unit. Part of that force was due to the group's explosive stage show. The centerpiece of the show was a giant 35-foot sphinx, which towered over the stage. At the beginning of the show, the mouth of the sphinx opened and unleashed a barrage of lasers. Out of the dazzling light stepped the four members of KISS. As entrances go, it wasn't bad. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> It wasn't bad. Um, it was awesome, actually. So, um, Kiss then proceeded to demonstrate that its music is just as relevant as its stage show. Even though the group has been around since 1974, Kiss can trot out a host of hit songs from the mid-'80s and beyond. So, some, uh, some kudos there. Talked a little bit about the opening acts. The headliner's arrival on stage was a bit later than usual because of the presence of two opening acts. Again, that wasn't the reason. Um, there must have been something else. 
because there was a long delay between Faster Pussycat and, and Kiss. Uh, and they mentioned Kiss didn't make its appearance until uh, about 9.45. Concert was attended by 7,420 people. So uh, pretty good pretty good crowd uh, for, that, uh, for that venue. So now on to the Slamfest tip of the week. And this week I want to talk about uh, venues and kind of want to talk about best and worst venues that I've been to or uh, the Slamfest crew has been to. But I don't want to lump this into just one segment for the whole country. I want to break it down by regions um, of where where the Slamfest members live. And obviously we've been to shows in those cities. Um, felt like I should start with where I'm at. So living in central Michigan, I'm uh, going to give a nod to Detroit. Been to a little, tons of shows there. Um, going to start with stadiums and then go down to uh, clubs. Um, so, stadium-wise, Ford Field, Comerica Park. Uh, currently, those venues are right next to each other. Um, Forty thousand plus uh, capacity on on both of them. Great places to see uh, shows. Comerica Park outside, um, and you've got Ford Field with the dome. So again, good uh, good places to see to see shows and then in general i mean they've got there's classic venues with lots of history um that aren't around anymore um cobo hall obviously twelve thousand seater um great acoustics lots of history and and uh was able to go to some shows there before they they uh renovated it and changed changed what it was joe lewis arena palace of auburn hills both not around anymore and again those were those were large arenas 20,000 plus seaters uh, that uh, had lots of history as well then you go to amphitheaters uh, pine knob which is now dte energy music theater 15,000 capacity so not a, a huge amphitheater but always one of the top drawing amphitheaters in the country uh, year after year great great place to see shows freedom hill um, which is about half the size of, of Pine Knob, uh, so seven, 8,000 people. Again, just a smaller version, great place to see shows. Um, Fox Theater downtown, beautiful old theater, 5,000-seater. Uh, I've seen multiple shows in there, very cool place to see concerts. Um, Royal Oak Music Theater, and the Fillmore used to be known as State Theater, uh, both um, you know around you know 2,000 2,500 uh, capacity, good mid-sized venues. Then you got Emerald Theater, Majestic Theater, again 1,100 to 1,500 capacity um, theaters. Harpo's Concert Theater, which some people may have heard of, it uh, uh, was a uh, a stop for all of the 80s bands as they were ascending in popularity uh, always made stop there um, not in a great neighborhood uh, lots of stories from some bands that did stop there and um, again not a great uh, environment around it but the theater itself old movie theater um, converted into a concert hall very very cool uh place to see a show 
Then you've got St. Andrew's Hall and the Token Lounge and the Magic Bag. Um, again, great uh, small small clubs um, that uh, I've seen shows at and, and we'll talk about um, in future future episodes. Worst, so the there's across the Detroit River in Windsor, there's a Caesars, there's, there's uh, casinos over there. And I've seen a couple of shows over there. So casinos in general, um, there are some others around the state of Michigan that I've seen shows at. And I try to avoid those uh, when at all possible. Um, if you've been to a casino show before, you know, you've got some, it, there's some issues. You've got VIP seating, you know, people, high rollers that have season tickets to all the shows. So you've got empty seats at some of these things up front, which is just lame when it comes to a rock concert, having empty seats. Um, and then you've got people sitting, and you've got some situations where ushers are, are telling you to sit. Um, I have had a ushers come up to me and ask me to sit down, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is a rock concert, not a movie theater. Um, and then the volume, I mean, you would think, you know, the venues themselves are nice. Obviously casinos have, have generally nice buildings and, uh, you know, that type of thing. But the sound is usually, the volume is, is lower, um, and it hasn't always been great. So, uh, worst venues, uh, casino related stuff, uh, try to avoid when, whenever possible. So now, closing out the episode with a which side are you on? So normally on KISS episodes, I'll uh, be doing a deep uh, dive into the KISS catalog and do a, uh, a what side are you on for the KISS studio albums and even, even the live albums. Um, and my goal with those is I'm going to do it kind of live um, where I'll do a randomizer so I won't know which album is coming up uh, so it'll be a little bit more spontaneous um, but eventually you'll get through the whole catalog because I've been to enough KISS concerts to be able to do that however for the first few KISS shows that I saw there were great packages um, great opening bands um, and in some of those situations uh, I didn't see those opening bands uh, very often so I kind of want to dive into some of their material so, with that said, for this episode, I want to do Slaughter, Stick It To Ya. Uh, mentioned how much I liked that album uh, when it was released and when I got it, when I knew they were going to be opening for Kiss. So, Stick It To Ya, released on January 23rd, 1990, produced by Dana Strum and Mark Slaughter. Uh, went on to sell 2 million copies uh, went gold the day after I saw them, actually, in Omaha. Overall, I think it's produced well. Um, all the songs are written and arranged by uh, Dana and Mark. And, again, well-written, crafted songs. Not just verse-chorus um, situations. A lot of bridge, cool bridges and breakdowns. Catchy melodies. And, and Mark's vocal overall is fantastic. Interesting credit, uh, I noticed that the camera noises at the beginning of Eye to Eye are actually to Jerry Miller, who was the, um, in charge of Metal Edge uh, magazine, so I thought that was interesting. 
So let's dive into side one. So as we talked, uh, kicks off with eye to eye. Great opener, uh, sound effects, and then builds into a great riff. Uh, great bridge and chorus. Um, cool effects on the vocal during the chorus. Just a just a great uh, rockin' song. Again, should have opened the the concert. Um, Burning bridges. Again, great riff. Obviously, the lyrics uh, uh, taking a jab at uh, Vinnie Vincent. Great backing vocals. However, that talking bit is pretty cheesy. Um, almost ruins the song um, overall for me. I mean, it, it could have. I wish they would have just written lyrics and had verses talking about that stuff versus uh, Mark having to do that talking point. Um, Up All Night, again, as I mentioned, didn't like that song very much out of the gate. Uh, not a fan of the chorus, but grew on me after seeing it live. And actually loved the music uh, portion of the bridge. Uh, and that song uh, actually reached number 27 on the, on the charts. Um, Spend My Life, surprised that this was the third single. I think there's other songs. Uh, ended up reaching number 39, but I think there's some other songs on, on here that, that could have been singles. But overall, great melodic guitar fill to open the song. Cool verses, uh, great lyrics. Uh, bridge and chorus are cool, and then love Mark's. Uh, I'm gonna call them interjections at the uh, during the outro, kind of like Paul Stanley. You know, you're my little angel. You're the only one for me, baby. I'm the one for you. That type of stuff was was very cool. Um, thinking of June, very cool uh, acoustic uh, instrumental. Um, Should have really just had that as the intro to. Fly to the Angels. Not sure they why they had it in the spot that they did, and then had a song, and then Fly to the Angels. It would have been cool as an intro. She wants more. So ACDC, a uh, whole lot of Rosie uh, type uh, riff. Overall, bad song as far as I'm concerned. Lyrics. She's going shopping on you. Just chorus is not good. Uh, I, I think the bridge is really the only redeeming quality <laughs> of this song. And then closing outside one with Flight of the Angels. Again, awesome song. Mentioned how great it was live. Um, and again, released right in the middle of the Kiss uh, tour, which was good timing and a little surprised that it only reached number 19 on the charts. Um, but overall, great song. Kind of an odd placement on the album but um, one of my favorites on, on the album for sure. So now going into side two, kicked off with Mad About You. You know, wasn't crazy about this song initially. Uh, verses and bridge are cool. Uh, again, surprised that it was uh, released as a, as a single. You know, again, can name some of the other songs on here that, that could have been the fourth single, um, but not bad, and, and it's, it's growing on me. So now the next four songs in a row. So I can remember when I bought this and flipping the cassette over and you know listening to the side two, I was just blown away with how much I liked. I mean, it's just song after song after song. And again, they're not hits. Uh, they're not songs that they play. Um, so track two, that's not enough. 
just kicks in immediately with a cool riff and vocal, no real introduction. Gang vocals during the chorus is cool. Uh, you like to see me talk about it, chit chat and smile. I don't want none of that. That's where it's at. Just cool lyrics. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of the lyrics on the first Skid Row album, which uh, uh, I thought were were great on there as well. Um, into You Are the One. Again, a, a kind of a power ballad-ish song. Great bridge and great melodic chorus. Uh, harmonizing during the chorus is cool. Uh, Walk the streets alone, staring into space. Um, lyric is cool, awesome outro. You know you're making my dreams come true. Yeah, uh, you're the one. Any t- any time, day or night, you know it's all right with me. I, just cool, cool things on during the outro. Then gave me your heart. Simple, cool riff, bridge, great chorus. Whistling during the solo kind of uh, <laughs> reminded me of Girls, Girls, Girls um, from Motley Crue. Outro again, I will always be true. Uh, don't you see I love you part. Just awesome vocal. And then Desperately, which might be my favorite song overall on the album. Um, was really hoping to see him do this live and you know would have would have fit, I think, really well at the end of the set. Uh, great riff during the chorus, great bridge is just awesome. Great solo, actually, and continues during the outro uh, as the chorus is is going on and on. And then Loaded Gun, already mentioned during the set. Uh, Unnecessary intro. Again, not a good song. Uh, Trying to be metal fast. You know, I mentioned not being a fan of Fast Kiss. I'm not not a fan of Fast Slaughter either. Um, Bang, bang. Lyrics, bang, bang. She's going to get you, get you. Shoot, shoot, shoot fire whatever it just doesn't and then he says how about them apples it just doesn't work um and it sounds almost like tough notes even for mark to hit um so i'm not sure why this was on there and then on the you know version um you know they've got flight of the angels acoustic um you know more of a just a regular ballad minus the power um and i i can't I guess for sure if it's just the, the same recording but all the other stuff taken out or if it, it sounds like it, it is and then the side ends with winging it which is just a you know just them a cappella kind of screwing around in the studio again not really necessary not needed um, so you know overall you know looking at the, the two sides um, initially, when I was thinking of doing this album for this, I kind of like, well, it's obviously going to be side one. But when you kind of dive into it closer, um, I'm actually going to go with side two. And again, it's not just a quantity over um, quality situation that I tend to like more songs off of side two than side one. Um, again, I just, I just think side two flows uh, better. And can just remember from the first listen uh, that that's the way I felt about it. So, as I did in the uh, previous episode, um, the Which Side Are You On had too many songs on it, I felt, and wanted to cut it down to 10. Same thing here. I mean, there's there are too many songs on here, 15. Um, I would cut it down to 10, like this, side one. 
eye to eye, burning bridges, up all night, spend my life, and then thinking of June as the intro into Flight of the Angels. And then side two, mad about you, that's not enough, you are the one, gave me your heart, and then desperately. And if that's the way that this album would have been laid out, it, it, it would be a desert island album uh, for me. I think it would be perfect. So, did any of you see the Kiss Hot in the Shade tour in 1990? If so, what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that tour? How many shows did you see? Who were your openers? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on Slaughter's debut album? Side 1 or Side 2? Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private Facebook page at Slamfest Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you!